Oh, welcome to episode 22 of the Cincy Postcast, and boy, do we have a good one for you. It is a classic three-parter here on the Postcast. Part one, of course, we're talking about that Nashville match, some of the aftermath, some of the fallout coming off of that match. Vasquez scored again. We're going to talk a little bit more about the U.S. men's national team picture now as we're getting ever closer to that last window before the World Cup. And then in part two, it is one of my favorite segments we do. It is listener questions. Uh, You ask questions to us on Twitter. We got you covered. In part three, we're going to talk a little bit about the transfer window before it closes. Matt Miazga watch in full effect. And that will be your postcast episode 22 oh and talking to discuss all of that and then a few questions more we've got the usual crew oh my gosh look at the consistency on us this is three weeks in a row now it's been all three of us this is Fantastic. Of course, we are joined by the one, the only, the Chief Warpig. Chief, how we feeling? Week left in the transfer window. How we feeling? Uh, I was at the happiest city on earth to watch another soccer team that I like get absolutely decimated last weekend. And seeing the joy on all the children's faces as they squealed with delight and went off running in every direction, excited to be at Disney World, it filled me with a renewed sense of optimism for the oh. human race, and I just feel this this window is going to come together. So I have made a resolution that we're going to be a little more positive in this ga- in this episode, and we'll see how many minutes that lasts. But <laughs> kind of was it was a it recharged the batteries to see all those happy kids running around that I didn't have to be a parent to. Oh, that sounds so pleasant. Although, given how long we normally record, I bet we could wear you down by the end. So, I, th- I think I think the the grind that is the postcast will get you. Actually, uh, just just thinking about <laughs> Chelsea losing four nil when I paid a lot of money to go down and see them play is is putting me back in that bad headspace. So we'll we'll oh, see. Oh man, ah, oh, and a uh, another man who has probably never traveled the U.S. to watch a Premier League team. I'm going to throw that out there. Uh, is one Grayson Chalmers. Grayson, what's the furthest you've ever traveled specifically for a soccer match? Uh, I did go to London and watched uh, Tottenham play Sunderland in 2016. Ooh. Um, and that fancy. really was... That that was a uh, spur of the moment trip. I had a I had a work thing that was going to take a lot of time get canceled, and I just said, "I've never been to London. My <laughs> wife's out of town, and I took a I took a three day trip to to London that weekend." <laughs> That's that sounds like one of those trips that you hear like the kids of pilots get to take where they just have the unlimited miles. So they, they go get lunch in Paris and come back, you know, those, those types of I mean, things. You don't, need, you don't need to be the kid of a pilot. Like I had a friend that was a gate agent for Comair and he would always talk about, he kept saying all the time that like, Oh, I traveled all these places, but the city we've all got to go to is Montreal. We've got to go to Montreal. Montreal is so much fun. Uh, we got to do a bachelor party in Montreal. So finally, after years of just wearing us down with like all the stories of travel, we're like, okay, let's go to Montreal. We all book tickets and we say, Iraq, like, where should we go in Montreal? Oh, I don't know. I just lay out a lay over there, but everybody said it was a really good time. <laughs> 
I read a good book that was set there. It sounded fun, yeah. <laughs> Dipshit. <laughs> oh, that's that's hilarious. Well, uh, I mean, this weekend, the tourist destination had to come to Cincinnati. Nashville visiting from the Western Conference, which I... I'm not entirely sure why they did that. Let's be real. They should have kicked Chicago over to the Western Conference because nobody actually cares about Chicago. Uh, came to Cincinnati, drew the orange and blue one to one, and um, it was a is a weird vibe. It was another match where uh, FCC conceded late. I got to be honest. This was other than the Austin match. This was like to me. This was like the most Stom era performance of FCC that we've seen this season. That was it was a sort of depressing uh, for me anyway. I never really felt like the team was going to get back into it after they conceded that goal. Um, but they draw they drew it back. They drew it back. I don't know. Maybe I'm alone in that sort of pessimistic take. I was tweeting at the GM during the game, so that's where my headspace was. But Grayson, what was what, what's your vibe a few days out now looking back on that match? Um, well, so I got a I got a couple of things that gave me some perspective. First, I agree the first, you know, 10, 15 minutes of that game, I was like, This is the worst game we've played all year. Like they were they looked slow they had no energy they didn't look like they were going to threaten they were they like nashville had like 70 percent possession at one point in that in the mm-hmm. first 15 minutes um but you know they did turn it around and i think anybody would say that you know after about that 15 20 minute mark uh fc had way more of the game i mean by the end of the game the possession stat was totally flipped and that it was a game that, by all accounts, they you know they should have won. I mean, Brenner missed an open goal. <laughs> there a couple of other times where they missed an open goal. Um, Nashville had a couple of threatening moments, but nothing really sustained. Like they weren't Nashville wasn't building anything. Yeah. Um, later in the game, and you know it is, and you know I was looking at the the handball calls because I really feel like there were two missed handballs in that game. I know. We scored right after the second one. Right. Um, but they were both handballs that I felt, you know, one would definitely have been called against us. <laughs> oh, no <Yes>. doubt. <laughs> and, no doubt. And, and two seemed to be clear handballs under the laws of the game. So I looked at the text of the laws of the game because I'm, you know, a textualist. <laughs> <laughs> and it... <laughs> You know, both both arms were in unnatural positions, and they touched the ball. Um, it's not about what you intended to do, and the the laws of the game don't say anything about a about a deflection. So, no. so I tried to get some perspective, and I spoke to an anonymous pro referee who agreed Ooh. to talk to me. Ooh. And what he Slide said those DMs. is that it's not about textualism; it's about originalism. And under the major questions doctrine, it is presumed that if FIFA intended for handballs to be called in FC Cincinnati's favor, then they would have specifically written that into the rules. Um, And I just pointed out that FC Cincinnati just started playing soccer and, you know, it wouldn't make sense for FIFA have written that in the rules, you know, decades or 100 years ago. And he said that I should, quote, (laughs) shut up, grab a spoon, eat it and like it. (laughs) 
<laughs> so um, or or call your congressman and vote. So that's that's where I am on this. Your your youth soccer uh, state representative and, yeah. and vote. Yes. Right. Um, no, that's a good point, and I do think uh, a lot of times fans don't remember that some of the first rules of of soccer were written back in the 13 and 1400s, and I think it's important that we consider all of that in uh, 2022. Now, Chief, what was uh, what's your what's your take on this match here? Well, I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to presume that I would have the power of soccer legislative review. I wouldn't just assign that to myself. That would be crazy (laughs) to ever do something that just gave me that power. I mean, and you would be crazy to just go along with me saying I have that power to do that. I can't fathom why anyone would do that, would just let me have that when I just claimed it for myself. That would would be shocking. But – when when I look at this game, there was there was a couple of thoughts that I had because I actually went back and I watched it with my full attention because I was kind of half paying attention during the actual game as I watched Chelsea just get the soul stomped out of it in the preseason game, like a hundred and five percent humidity in Orlando. But um, what I liked about this game from an FC Cincinnati perspective was that this is one of the very few games that they've had in their history where I felt like they grew into the game mm. as opposed to. Um, your usual trajectory for an FC Cincinnati game is it's like a radio wave from physics class where it's up and it's down and you see moments of good, then moments of bad, then sometimes the moments of bad are longer, the amplitude of bad extends further. But in this game, there was a very clear growth arc of FC Cincinnati. By the end of the game, I thought they were clearly the better team. And by the end of the game also i'm i'm very convinced that if lucho acosta had played this game they would have they would have found their way to win this game um so from if that Matt standpoint if miazga had played this game we definitely would have won that game i don't Ooh. disagree with that either um <laughs> but just the idea that um that 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 one player does make a huge difference and then the other the other takeaway i had beyond the officiating the officiating i'm sure we'll talk about more as we go along it was, it was garbage um i'm sorry but if you have a handball in the box where you play the ball down to yourself with a, a hand, I don't care what fucking position your arm is in. If you use your hand to gain an advantage and possess the ball, which happened on at least one of those where the ball was knocked down to his feet, um, I think that was on the Dax McCarty handball. Was that one? I think I don't yeah. remember. Well, I think I think they both fit in that category. But, but and, you know, yeah, go on. if you if you. If you play the ball to yourself with a hand, I don't give a shit what your position your arm is in. You are using your hand to play the ball. It's a penalty. And if that's Jeff Cameron the ball is hitting into, I have no doubt in my mind they're calling that a penalty. Like 0% doubt. Because I have watched that exact same play be called a penalty this season on Jeff Cameron. Jeff Cameron um, and Ray Gaddis, I believe, had a similar sort of deflection, quote-unquote. Yeah, I forgot about Ray's. that's, That's just bullshit. And... That's just more fuel to the fire that I de- I believe we are an easy target for officiating at this point, and it's going to be bad until this team gets good enough that that somebody starts paying attention to the fact that you can't call make calls like that against a team that's in playoff contention. We're a nobody at this point, and we need to fight our way out of that, which sucks. And I wish there was a better way that they could handle that and a more professional way to handle that, but there's not. Um, and the other takeaway I sort of had that I I think is worthy of discussion is so a couple weeks ago we were singing the praises of Brenner and look at how good this team looks with Brenner 
uh, performing as a designated player, performing up to contract. How can you think about moving Brenner? Well, we're back to bad old Brenner again, where this was a game where with Lucho out, and the last few games with Lucho out, these were opportunities that Brenner needed to step up, and you know he's the DP that's on the field, him and Wobodo, and he's the only one in the offensive third. And this is a game where Brenner had a chance that a designated player being paid what he's being paid, needs to put away to win the game, and he didn't do it. And it's we're starting to see sort of with him, like it's 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 a Jekyll and Hyde act, which is still better than just the straight Hyde act that it had been <laughs> prior to this. Yes. But but it, it it's 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 frustrating because you see him perform at the level that you expect of him, and you think, oh, now we can build around this. This isn't a guy we need to move out, and then disappears entirely for now a couple weeks in a row when the team really needed him to help grind a result out. And so, to me, the, the story of this game was Lucho Acosta being out, if he's playing, it changes the game. Brenner not playing up to the level that we know he's capable of playing at now, and that changes the game. And if you look at the end result, they get a draw that they probably should have won because their best players weren't playing at the level or even playing at all if they needed to. Yeah, I'd say too. The frustrating thing about Brenner, well, I mean, one obviously the the super <laughs> close miss that he had there, the wide open header, uh, and I know his his heading ability has been called out previously. Um, was the fact that Nashville was missing Hanny Mukhtar, and you know, you, obviously losing Lucho sucks, but you you kind of like your odds if the other team's also missing their their talisman on offense and uh yeah we we really just we missed this opportunity to kind of show who we are Brenner stepping up Barriol has done fine I think and I, I think it's it's worth talking about him more here but it just wasn't quite all there um and it's just frustrating. These are just missed opportunities. This and Vancouver in particular, Western Conference teams, matches that probably should have been wins. Um, and and for, yeah, whatever, for whatever yeah. reason, too, it's, it's, it's worth talking about this idea that this, this team doesn't do handle its business at home. And yeah. for whatever reason, I don't know what it is, there was a chart that I saw on online, I wish I could remember where it was, that we are one of only two teams – in MLS with a negative home field advantage where our points per game on the road is higher than it is at home. And that's a super rarity in this league where playing at home, not having to travel the insane distances that you travel in MLS versus other leagues in the world, your home needs to be a fortress. And for whatever reason, um, this team, no matter how into the game the crowd is, no matter how rowdy the crowd is, that set that aside. Because I've been to TQL Stadium where that place has been rocking and rolling. I've been to TQL Stadium where we'll just say that the crowd isn't having the best of times during the course of a match. And it doesn't matter. The team's performance doesn't increase or decrease based on anything happening in the crowd. They just don't play well at home. And yeah. I don't know what that is, but it's frustrating as a fan that pays to watch this team because I want to see them play well when I'm paying and it's frustrating just from just an overall fandom perspective that you're not going to succeed long term in this league if you're not really racking points up at home when you have the opportunity. Yeah. Uh Grayson, I'm curious your take 
on these two players, Bariel and Brenner. Let's set aside their their roster uh, spots that they occupy, their salary for a second. Going forward, who do you think is the more important player to FCC's success this season? Uh, this season, um, <clears throat> man, I don't, I don't know, because <laughs> I think. I think Lucho is probably is, is the most important player yeah. for the success this season. Um, I'll go with I'll go with Barrial um, because he can be pretty dangerous in the left wing back spot as we've as we've seen. He is Lucho's backup, and Lucho's probably going to get at least one more game out when he gets yellow card accumulation. Um, <laughs> You at know, least, right. yeah. So, so um, time for another silent protest. And uh, <laughs> and I think that what what Brenner has given us so far, hopefully we can get continue to get what we've gotten from Vasquez. We can get um, uh, uh, some combination of of Baji and and Santos when when they're back to give us some more goals and Bariel, I think is has, you know, more than half as many goals as, as Brenner in all competitions. Uh, so the answer so, has, the answer has to be Brenner though, for this reason though. And I, I just, I want to hear your take on this too, Grayson, is that if he hadn't had that little pop off that he had a couple weeks ago, it would be so much easier for the staff to just write him off that this guy isn't who he needs to be. He's not a part of our plan going forward. We're just, you know, he is what it is. But because he flashed that ceiling, I feel like now he's probably going to get run out there every game, no matter what, <laughs> because you've seen what happens if he's on one for a night. And well, as, so, long as, as long as he's on the roster, he should be run out every game. Um, and he, can, he still does special things, even against Nashville. You know, he sparks some attacks through some, you know, nice uh, flare plays that are not in anybody else's repertoire except for maybe Lucho. Um, but overall, I mean, Kevin's question was, who do I think will be more important the rest of the season? And, you know, Barrial doesn't have the maybe special spark that that Brenner can show from time to time, but they both played that game. You know, some combination of them was the Lucho replacement and Barriel ended up with this, with an assist and six shot creating actions. And Brenner had no assists and three shot creating actions. So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll put a spin on Kevin's question just slightly on this thing. Is that like, when you say who's the most important player for FC Cincinnati going forward, well, they need Brenner to be the most important player going forward. Yeah, because great. He's going, going the whole thing. Right. He is. He's going to be on the field for the rest of the year. Barial will get shuffled on and off depending on matchups. You can see situations where Barial might not play, but Brenner's going to be in the lineup in the eleven if he's healthy, just about every game from here on out. And if he's a if he's a vacuum of production then that's going to actively drag the team down. And it's going to take him doing some really dumb shit to get dropped from the 11. So they need him to 
that he, it's he's important because they need him to just play better. They need him to play better, and they need him to play more consistently because they can drop Barial for another player. There's no circumstance at this point, absent you know him sleeping with a teammate's wife or you know some shit <laughs> like drama in the locker room like that. There's no circumstance where Brenner's getting dropped. I don't think so. If he's going to go out there, they need him to play better than he has played during this time where Lucho's been out, just flat out. Yeah, that'd be awesome. But the fact the fact also is that. You know, you say they can drop Barrial, but but Barrial has played himself into playing time. He has forced himself on the field. He was he did not fit neatly into uh, any of the formations that Pat Noonan was playing, and um, you know, I think I think that if they end up bringing in, and we could talk, I guess we could talk about this later, but if they end up bringing in a a stud center back of a Matt Miazga kind of quality, <laughs> then I think Barrial is your starting wing back the rest of the season. If yeah, you don't need they, Johnny Nelson's defense, I like Barrial in that position. I like him getting forward. I like him getting wide. He plays some some dangerous balls in. Um, and he's, especially this year, uh, shown that he is he, he will work. Yeah. I, I I think it's a great point. And yes, I did have that down as one of our listener questions there for part two. Uh, somebody called out that specific hypothetical. Um, two other players I wanted to touch on here before we before we leave this recap, and I'll I'll leave it to uh, either one of you to uh, to touch on whichever one you'd like. Uh, Salentano is very obviously, to my eyes, uh, at fault for that goal, and it looked pretty bad. Uh, the way he was flailing at the ball and wasn't commanding his box. Um, understanding the circumstance that he is a rookie goalkeeper. Um, I do wonder if some of these games don't look a little different with an Alicon in the back. Uh, I understand like future state Celentano's where we want to be, and we have him under contract for three years plus two options, so I'm not worried about him going anywhere. I'm looking at this season, playoff push, not making rookie mistakes. I assume Khan catches that ball. Maybe he screws something else up in that game, but I have to wonder if that if that doesn't change things going forward. And then I'll quickly say Vasquez scored again, and I feel like it gets overshadowed every time we do these recaps. This dude's on fire. And um, if he's snubbed for the World Cup roster, it is a uh, it is an anti-Cincinnati crime committed by Triple G. So so, so real quick, um, I think we should, as, as Kevin mentioned, give, give Brandon Vasquez, you know, his deserved praise. I mean, the guy just keeps scoring. Um, he's one behind Jesus Ferreira. He's tied with Jeremy Abobasi. I don't know if Abobasi takes penalties, but I know Ferreira does. Um, so the fact that Vasquez has done this with no penalties and he's got, I don't know, three assists on the season, four assists on the season. Yeah. Um, he's just been really, really impressive. And if he doesn't get picked as, as Tati Castellanos' replacement, in the MLS All-Star game, then it's there's there's some coastal bias or some bullshit no, going if, on. If he doesn't get picked, it's entirely because they want to pick a guy from a bigger market yeah. because they're chasing TV market share on this. And here's the biggest here's the biggest compliment you can pay to Brandon Vasquez is this feels routine. That when he scores now, I am not surprised. 
I, it's more of a hell yeah, good for you. But this has stopped being a fun story of, you know, oh, look how far Brandon Vasquez has come. He's finally gotten his chance. This is an incredible thing. And now it's just he's an incredible soccer player that is really, really good at scoring goals. And he is this heir apparent to this type of jack-of-all-trades, hold-up play, fox-in-the-box, right-place-right-time striker that Chris Wondolowski made a career out of. I mean, the comparison's been made by other writers. That's who he is at this point. And there should be a place for him on the national team. There should be a place for him in the MLS All-Star game. And I, if you tell me he's going to score in the next three consecutive matches, to me that's not news. It's just, okay, that's what he does now. And that's an incredible compliment for a guy who didn't have a place in Yapstam's starting rotation. And I can't emphasize this enough, that this guy who has now become <laughs> fucking routine at scoring goals on a regular basis could not crack the 11 for Yap Stam. Oh my and, gosh. uh, you know, if, if he, if, if, if the U S you know, really, really cared about soccer, that Vasquez would be a huge, huge star. Yes. yes. I mean, he's a, he's a great looking guy. I'm not yeah. ashamed to say it. Photo Jack is shit. You have, you have somebody like, like remember how Pulisic had that like really embarrassing, uh, GQ, Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, spread in, uh, I think it was GQ, but it was like some, it was some men's, men's fashion magazine. And yes. It's, right. and you're, you're watching this and you're like, this guy has spent too much time in, in England. Yeah. No, he's <laughs> and, just, but Pulisic Vasquez is a dweeb. Would, Vasquez he's a dweeb that's good at soccer. Vasquez yeah. is actually a dude where you, Vasquez will shove you into a locker. Christian Pulisic will ask you if you want to play D&D later. Like, that's who these two people are. They're both very good at the sport, but they're both they're different personality types. You know what I love about Vasquez, too? I love that he goes out there and he cuts an interview telling people, actually, the pancake thing is kind of bullshit. I'm not really yep. a pancake fan. It took off, and I'm rolling with it, but I'm more of a waffles guy myself or a um, – what was the other thing he said? Like, basically, breakfast nachos. French, French toast, waffles, and chilaquiles. Right. Which are, which, which are like breakfast nachos. Which are all objectively <laughs> better than pancakes, like just flat out. Like they're waffle they, they call the restaurant Waffle House for a reason, because waffles are fucking phenomenal. Um but I love that he has the confidence now where it's like, oh no, I'm not playing along with this cute thing just to get attention. It's no, I'm a badass. I score a lot of goals, and I'm gonna correct the record on what kind of breakfast food I like. I love the confidence on that. That's a flex to go out there and change the cute narrative about yourself because I don't give a shit. I don't need that to, you know, to sell programs. That's cool. I like that. Feeling it. <laughs> now, uh, I threw this out there on my uh, MLS Minute. I'm curious, particularly Grayson, this feels like a question for you. Could or should Greg roll with Ibobasi Vasquez and Ferreira as the strikers for the U.S. men's national team going into the World Cup, assuming all the European-based strikers continue to perform at the level we saw last year? Yes, yeah. absolutely. I think that I think that striker, um, more than any other position, is about form, and I think that if you're scoring lots of goals. You're just you're just scoring lots of goals. You're feeling yourself. You're confident. You're in there. You're closing the deal. You're getting it done. Um, I think about guys like Herc Gomez, who you know had not yep. been called up much and was scoring a ton of goals in Mexico. You called him up. Um, Edson Buttle, I think was yeah. another another one. 
Um, I've always been a believer that, you know, if you got an American who's, who's, um, you know, at the top of MLS and goals at that happens to fall in a, in a world cup year, you got to think real hard about keeping him in your roster. And there's some time for some of these other guys to, to play themselves into, into position, but not a ton of time. And their, their club positions kind of stink here's the other here's the other thing about vasquez too that um it's like sometimes the moment picks you to a certain extent and if you look at the skill set brandon vasquez has and i understand we're all homers for fc cincinnati and we want you know vasquez to do well you look at the skill set he's got and then you line it up with everyone else that is an attacking player for the current u.s men's national team roster and what is that u.s men's national team roster missing they are missing someone to clean up the mess that other people create. They've got a lot of mess creators on this national team. And a guy like Vasquez, so it, it, to a certain extent, like, I want Greg to go find, if there's a, as a men's, as a U.S. fan, as a United States fan, I want him to go find the best version of Brandon Vasquez out there because I think he would just dominate, that skill set would just dominate with this team. Let players like Pulisic create chaos move around, and then here comes the striker on the back end to find the ball and put it in the back of the net. And there's no reason, honestly, that can't be Brandon Vasquez. And I think that on that lineup with those players, I think that skill set, and maybe even Brandon Vasquez himself, would be very, very productive for the national team. And I'd I'd love to see it, even in one of those send-off friendlies, which is why I'm pissed off he wasn't called up in the last window, just because I want to see what it looks like. Because I, I... just the eyeball test and watching the way Vasquez moves and watching the way he finds space, that would be deadly with even better players getting the ball to him. Just it Am I wrong in that? Like that just seems it seems like a no-brainer for that no. skill set to be on the national team. No, you're, you're not, not wrong. Because <laughs> I think you're seeing you're seeing a lot of the chances that are missed are being the kinds of chances that, that Brandon Vasquez puts away. And you yep. know specifically, I'm thinking about like PFOC against uh, uh, Mexico and Azteca. Um, you know, Haji Wright didn't really cover himself in glory, although I think he made a penalty. Yeah, against Morocco, uh, uh, Pepe missed a, a sitter in Orlando after that Morocco game as well. Um, yeah. I, also, I'm going to continue to to beat this drum. I don't know if it matters for anybody, but it matters to me, and I like to think it matters. Vasquez played on youth national teams with the core of this U.S. men's national team. He played on uh, these youth national teams with McKinney and Pulisic and Adams. And Johnny so. Nelson. And Johnny Nelson. <laughs> All right, maybe the argument doesn't go <laughs> too far. But, I mean, you can't tell me he doesn't have chemistry or he's totally unfamiliar. They, they've at least been teammates before. So I, I think it's, it's not that big of a stretch. Um, and, yeah, I with think all he's that a stud. He's, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I think he's, he's a stud. He's got elite hold-up play. He draws a ton of fouls. Should draw more fouls, frankly. They've, they've gotten to a point where – uh, they're letting they're letting defenses beat him up, and I think the refs really need to adjust to that. Yeah. If he like, signs it's not, you can't let him get new, knocked in the back every time the ball comes to him. If he signs a new contract, he'll draw even more fouls next year. There's no doubt that like it once he starts being higher paid and everyone starts taking more notice of it, that he'll, he will draw more fouls and more respect because the majority of those calls are respect calls from the officiating crew. 
is what, especially in a league like this. For sure. I uh, I will look this up after the show, but I feel very confident in saying Vasquez probably fouls more than any other striker at MLS. I'll give him that for sure. He's he's out there laying in tackles. Good. Fuck um, those people. Yeah, no, completely agree. No, with all that U.S. men's national talk, I think that's going to do it for our Nashville recap. Wait, I got, I got, I got a segment. I got a segment for Nashville, real, real fast. Oh, please. Um, uh, I, I it's, they made a something, right? Yeah, they made a movie. Yeah, yeah. So they made a TV series about Tyler Blackett. It's called "I Think You Should Leave." <laughs> um, <laughs> They made a movie about how representative last game was of other recent results. It's called Synecdoche, New York. That's I, a that's 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 one for me. So I, the first one was one for y'all. The second one was one for me. Well, I'm, glad that, I'm glad I'm glad one person was entertained by that. Thank you. <laughs> Look, oh. There's at least two people on Twitter who are going to DM me about how much they like that. So I'm happy. Okay. <laughs> So it's a joke. It's a joke for three people. We just don't know yeah. who the other two are right now. No, that's good. I mean, isn't that the postcast? So all relax. Right. Well, Nobody's listening anyway. Yes, we're good. We're good. No, I'm actually excited about this. Um, and maybe this is our way to trick people into listening: is to see if their questions get answered. In part two, we're answering your questions. We put it out there to the internet, and uh, we we get you some answers here in part two. Oh, and we're back. Part two. This is a little Q&A. We did this a few weeks ago. We're bringing it back. I think this is fun. Um, and I'll start us off with uh, with a good one. I mean, some people like to, like to accuse the FCC brass of looking back sometimes a little too fondly, but not too far back. Uh, so we're going to go with this one from Abby Francis. If you had to bring back three players from USL days, who would they be? and why and just to keep us uh on our time frame here i'm say there's three of us they asked for three players you each get one player let's all nominate one usl player to come back i think this is an interesting one because there's a couple of ways we can go about this right like do you get like the best of their career even outside of fcc because like peak omar cummings could do pretty well for this team uh or do you go with like where they were in USO when they played? Or do you go with now and you take Chibi, who's been in street clothes for four <laughs> years? Just an intimidating presence on the sideline. Just because you, you you know that guy's got some dog in him. And yeah. if he gets he gets in the right mood on the sidelines, literally some dog in him, and that he will bite your fucking face off. FCC needs a little more of that. A little more bite, literally and figuratively. Uh uh, Grayson, who you got? Who, who would you bring back from the USL days? Oh man, 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 man. Um, I, I would go. So I'm, I'm taking this as, as now. Ooh, okay, okay. Um, I'll go with Spencer. I think, I think Spencer makes our depth chart at keeper. Yeah, and I feel a little bit better about, um. About you know maybe dangling Alec Can to a team that needs a that needs a starter. Um, if if Spencer's our back our our default backup from there and not Vermeer. Also, 
um, Spencer lived down the street from me, and I used to see him when I was running all the time. He'd he'd be he'd be running he'd be walking his he'd be walking his dog, and I got to think, huh, yeah, Spencer's like kind of my neighbor, and then I don't I don't get that anymore. So, oh, <laughs> uh, just just for completion's sake, because I felt like these two were connected. Uh, Evan Newton, I believe, is on the Vancouver Whitecaps. Could be wrong about that, but he, he'd also be a half decent show. Uh, Chief, who are you going with? Oh, there's so many different directions to go on this. I mean, you, you've really got meme potential with somebody like GB or like Deckel Kanan just to bring the Deckel Smash back. Like, oh, yeah. Like some needed toughness for the team. If you're answering this question seriously, um, and I'm tempted to not answer it seriously and just say Mitch, just because <laughs> I, I feel that there is no one that better. Like, like Mitch and Jimmy are FC Cincinnati. Like if you yeah. just like your average fan out there on the street that's still wearing the old clip art lion with a soccer ball replacing a Bible logo from the OG USL <laughs> days. Yes. The only thing they know about this team is, is Mitch. Mitch says no, and man, Jimmy is a scrappy little white guy that we fall in love with in Cincinnati all the time. Like that's it. But. But Jimmy's still really... here. The question doesn't specify to play, I guess. Right. So, so Jimmy's <laughs> still here. Jimmy's yeah, like, here. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Mitch could be here. There's no reason why Mitch shouldn't be like, you know, he can't possibly be a worse coach for FCC too. I mean, that's not possible. Right. Um, <laughs> but like the best players from USL to MLS, you're looking for somebody that does one thing really, really well and who can give you a run of 15 minutes 10 minutes just to spell somebody. And the guy who I think we never got full value out of that I, I think was always tantalizing to me was Kadeem Dakers. Just mm. somebody who could take the top off a of defense. And speed always plays. Speed always plays at any level. If you're worried about the guy outrunning you, it, it, it's going to cause problems for the opposing team. And so to me, just give me the fastest guy and the most athletic guy that we had and a guy that could legitimately – take the home run ball off somebody i'd bring kadeem dakers back because i don't think we got the most out of them under alan Koch, and i'm willing to give that another chance here and and if it doesn't work i don't have any emotional connection to him because he wasn't a fan favorite or anything so <laughs> bring him back and ship his ass back out if it doesn't work why the fuck not oh i love it uh i'll tell you what i'm I'm torn between two guys who I think is one of them could... Tommy Heineman because that would be an electric answer in this the space current, right here. The United States man. under 15 national team coach. Oh man, Tommy Heineman. Also so owner good. of o- owner of the worst all-time haircut and facial hair combination of any player FC Cincinnati has ever signed. He looked dead on the Geico caveman. It was so <laughs> it's such a bad look. <laughs> also no, in true I, uh... caveman fashion. Uh, access to the legal system. Big fan of that too. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, I believe he is one of the top guys for the USL. He was. He uh, just left. Okay, he left okay, for the yeah. U15 national team, but he was the. I want to say president of the yeah. USL Players Union. Yeah. Ooh, so he, ooh, before you before you give your answer, can I change my answer because I sure. found a way out of this question. All right. Ooh, so okay. they said. What player from what? So who from USL would you bring in to FC Cincinnati right now? And the answer USL is USL days. Yes. All right, USL days. The answer is Mike Watts, and bring him oh. to commentate these games. <laughs> bring him like right now. Make him the voice of FC Cincinnati. 
Oh, that's a great shout. Yeah. Um, no, my my two my two picks uh, would be uh, Forrest Lasso or Harrison Delbridge. I mean, two center backs who win international are both doing very well in Korea and Finland, I want to say. Sweden, where we Sweden. got Tom Pedersen from. Hey, Pedersen was a day-in, day-out starter on this team. And you're telling me we can't use another center back for depth? Nick Hagland is younger than Forrest Lasso. That's insane. Uh, But Delbridge, I mean, he had a a very good career with Melbourne City. He's doing okay in South Korea. Uh, I did not realize this. I I pulled up his Wikipedia page very quickly. Uh, Appalachian State college player. How about that? So I say bring in Delbridge. They beat the University of Michigan. (laughs) I don't think anybody forgets that. No, nobody forgets (laughs) that. I just like bringing it up all the time. uh, Yeah, I think Delbridge is my choice there. That guy's like late lunging tackles were so good in USL. I'd like to see him continue it. Um, Okay, this one uh, is a good one. Looking forward, if FC Cincinnati were to make the playoffs – What's the starting 11 you're expecting? Uh, this is from uh, Kentra Hagatra. Is at Kentra Hagatra is how I'm going to choose to pronounce that. I think this is an interesting one. Um, I'll see if I can quickly name who I think would be the default, and then you guys can quibble around the edges here. I think without a doubt, Celentano is our starting goalkeeper in this. I think your center backs are probably Hagland and Cameron and Murphy at this point. Let's assume no new signings are coming. I think you go with those three, and I think you're looking at Nelson and Powell on the outside with Wobodo and Moreno in the midfield, Lucha right in front, and Vasquez and uh, Brenner up top. Is there... I, I mean, maybe you put... Barry Allen at left wing back instead of Johnny Nelson, but I'm not sure you do anything else there. Does anybody so, disagree? So for me, if if there, there's a, it seems like there's a chance Matarita comes back by the playoffs. Yeah, okay. But that was yeah. and that if was if Matarita makes the if if Matarita is back, then you start him over Nelson. Um, and I do think Ooh. that if 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 we bring in another center back to replace Cameron in the three, um, then it, and he's, he's, he's good. I, I, I think that Barial, um, because you, you just, if you have a more solid back three center backs, you can put more attacking wing backs in. Would and you I think, put, if, if Madrid is healthy, would you put Barial at right wing back over Powell? No, no. Okay. I, no. I, I wouldn't. Um, I mean, I think you maybe see them in, in games together at some point, but, um, as a starting lineup, I think left footed, left wing back, right footed, right wing back is how I would prefer to start. Um, and I think that, man, I don't see how in a playoff game you start two center backs. With yeah. with the roster as it is, no, especially not with the skill set. I mean, the, the question is, it, it, what would our starting eleven be if we make the playoffs? If we make the playoffs, it's because we made a move for a center back. Because I don't, mm. I, I have a tough time seeing this lineup, um, this lineup 
continue to pick up enough points to keep us in playoff position. So it, it it's going to have to be, if we make the playoffs, there's going to have to be someone else there that's a TBD as one of the center backs. And then you pair that person alongside Jeff Cameron to start with the understanding that you're going to have to get Jeff Cameron out of the game after about 55 to 60 minutes, which is where he's at. Um, I'm also open to the idea that you you open with the new center back and Ian Murphy with the idea of bringing Cameron in at halftime to sort of close the game out. Mm. But either way, part of the reason that they desperately need another center back is that I think Cameron can be a very, very good player on a MLS playoff caliber team. He just needs a caddy at this point in his career that's ready to come in for him. I don't think you – I would not start Cameron – in a two center back setup under any, no. under any circumstances. I don't, I mean, may, maybe there is a center back out there that I would start him next to, but I think as the center of a, of a, of a three, of a three, um, he can be re- reasonably effective. And I think that right now our best, our best setup is Murphy, Cameron, Hagland. And then, you know, if we bring in another center back, depending on how comfortable they are on the left or the right, if you want to try a two center back pairing, um, but may- maybe you, you start them with Murphy or Hagland. But then what do you do? Then I think the midfield gets tough because I still right. don't think, I don't know that we have a diamond midfield. I guess you could have Wobodo. So if you let, let's say you bring in somebody and, and they well, want to go, on, hang on. Before you go there, four. I'm I'm going to combine a question here because Rob Savage also asked, uh, "Who would you add and who would be dropped if we went to a back four? And that's ultimately what you're answering here. So this okay. is good. So if we let let's say let's say we bring in another center back and go to a back four, um, you have. There seems to be like two options that Nuna would go with, a 4-4-2 diamond or the 4-2-3-1 that we've seen a number of times as well. Um, I think your back four right now would be Nelson, um, new signing with either Murphy or Hagland, and Pal as the right back. And then the four diamond midfield... Wobodo, obviously. Lucho, obviously. Moreno. I, it, I think I think you'd man. put Moreno at the base of the diamond with Wobodo and Kubo as yeah. That's what I'm. Lucho that's what I was top. thinking. But I'm wondering if if you don't go Obina at the back of the diamond. Barrial on the left side, Moreno mm. on the right side, and Lucho yeah. on top. I mean, um, it's anything to get Kubo off the field over the last couple of games he's played. <laughs> the the four the four two three one I think is I think is easier because you go with the back four that I that I said you do Wobodo and Moreno as your um, your two. You have Lucho in the center, uh, Vasquez on top, and then probably. Barrial on the left and Brenner on the right. Yeah. Brenner on the right is interesting. 
I don't know if we've ever seen him cross, and maybe he's never asked to be crossed if he's out on the out wide. But I think it'd be interesting to see him play a match out wide. We know, you know, you you maybe wouldn't want to see this, but potentially Baji would replace him if you did that, which would be interesting. Um, all right, this one is uh, is a good one. This I think I think we're gonna come to a good consensus here. Uh, B Bermel three at B Bermel three asks, uh, could we rank the biggest rivalries for FC Cincinnati? And then threw the caveat out there: Should USL deserve to be included? To which I would answer: Of course it deserves to be included. Who else would you include at this point? In my mind, Louisville is number one. I'd be curious to see if anybody would like to argue against that. But to me, Louisville is still number one on the rivalry ranking. No, they're number one still, but it bothers the ever-living shit out of me that they still are. <laughs> and I don't want to give, on the off chance any of them listen to this nonsense, I don't want to give them the satisfaction of knowing that I still hate them. Like that's, <laughs> I mean, I was on record during the U.S. Open Cup. I don't want to play them. Yeah, I don't want to play them. I don't want to play them until this team is a lot better and we can just curb stomp them on talent and salary alone, which... You know, didn't go so well for us when we were paying more money than them in USL anyway. Um, I think no, we have three the- rivals. Ooh, okay. I think three. we have three. Three. And they all they all trace back to USL. We have Columbus, we have Nashville, we have Louisville. Yeah. And they all they all started. So in I USL. think Louisville, Columbus, Nashville feels the most natural. I don't think there's any real discussion there. If you had to go to five I think I would, I would put, and this may be controversial. New York Red Bulls yeah, is our number I would four. Too. Same, and uh, I don't know about that. I mean, Ooh. to me, what what stops the New York Red Bulls from being a, a supervillain is that I'll never be able to unexperience losing to them in the Open Cup and Jesse Marsh <laughs> and all the players coming over and being super classy in victory. Which I get; it's real easy to be classy in victory, but. I'm in the Bailey. I'm all dejected. I'm pissed off. I was already looking up, you know, flights to Kansas City at halftime because, you know, I'm a jinx and that's what I do. And they're all applauding. There's one guy pointing down at the field saying, we'll be back. And it's just like, that was what I needed in that moment. And yeah, there's shitheads and they shithouse around and they flop like dead fish. And I just, I can't, I can't hate them the way I hate Columbus. I hate Nashville. I hate Louisville. Um, if you're looking to go to five, I think the obvious answer for number four is is pro referees. Like that's the obvious <laughs> rivalry that's going right now. It's Tale true. as old as time. Yes. And I'm All sorry right. that no matter what you think the top four rivalries FC Cincinnati has is, number five is Detroit City. And it's always Ooh. going to be Detroit City. It's always going to be because you know why? Because fuck them. Fuck those sanctimonious pricks up there with their spooky skeleton gloves and their their internal debate and their their bitching and moaning about being censored on cable television and all their just grown adults like cosplaying as St. Pauli weirdos. Fuck them. Dude, I don't Straight give up. a shit about Detroit City. I don't give a single shit about Detroit City. They're oh. funny to me. Like, it's just these are... And I, I, I'm not as, I'm not as into the, like inner workings of of supporters group, supporter section stuff as you guys are, and maybe that plays into it. But 
Boy, I do. I don't give a shit about Detroit City. <laughs> um, but so if I, I guess if I had to do, if I had to fifth, because I, I, I would say New York, and I include you know all the Red Bulls too bullshit, you know, yeah. um, from they USL and that as well. Number. Yeah, and then um, five Montreal. Ooh, yeah. we always we always have like we a, always have a wild like a game against, thing. Like we always have a wild too. we always have a wild game against Montreal. No, I I do think in terms of like quality of game, they're up there. I was also going to throw in uh, DC United, um, and I'd even go back to the USL days. I don't know if anybody remembers this. Uh, so DC's affiliate when we were in USL was the Richmond Kickers. I think they still might have some sort of deal with them, but they used to loan all their players to Richmond. Um, I thought it was Loudoun a- United now. Yes, that's right. That's right. So now, uh, so in USL, nice wine when you go to their games. <laughs> there was, there was. It's a funny great too match. that they, that yeah. DC United would always like loan players great. to Richmond Kickers, and they loaned more players than there were fans at those games. <laughs> Still, Matt Matt say. Turner lost to FC Cincinnati playing for Richmond Kickers. Yes. No, there were some good players who, who made their way over uh, against FC. I think Chris no. Durkin also played for Richmond Kickers against FC Cincinnati. Absolutely. But there was a match where their uh, their manager was flipping off the crowd after they drew or won some late game. And that, oh, to me, funny. just like seared into my mind of, like, fuck these guys. So... I'd I'd be willing to throw. Plus, you got get the the hashtag. Remember the nine game. Um, we played DC close historically. I don't know. I I could see. We should the just there. we should just pick one team in MLS that makes no sense to hate and just hate them irrationally. Like Real Salt Lake. Like who gives a fuck about Real Salt Lake? <laughs> I think. Uh, Knifey Lion Radio tried to do that with Dallas one yeah. time and made a hilarious mock-up of their logo. That was... Nobody cares about them either. Yeah, fuck Dallas. Right. FC Dallas. The the FC rivalry. Oh, there can only be one true team to start out with the letters FC. That still has more basis than the fucking Trillium Cup. That nonsense <laughs> that they're trying to push as a rivalry. Yeah, so I, I think we all agree, though, that that USL counts when we're deciding oh, yeah. who are yeah. Absolutely. Who our rival rivals are. I'll say at this point, like having USL rivalries and USL connections is like one of the unique things about FC Cincinnati in MLS is that we have lower league history. And I, I absolutely think that they should lean into that whenever they, and they, however. Not only should they lean into that, but the social media people at FC Cincinnati, when we get just a little bit better, I want to see them start taking some swipes at Louisville when they lose games. Like I want to see them start taking some oh, yeah. some shots. Just rub it in a little. Just just let them know we're paying attention and that like you know oh that's funny you're losing down in the league below us that's cute. <laughs> we don't, we don't have a long lower league history, but I would yeah. I think it's fair to say we have a lot of lower league history. Oh yeah, it's it's kind of a shame that we never got a a really good uh, like. Back and forth with Sacramento, you know, a, a really good team that'll always be there and things like that. Uh, I mean, Louisville will, will have to suffice, but um, so we've already touched on the back four. Um, 
extra medium at extra medium uh put this one out there and i i'm just bringing this up just to break their heart uh since brandon vasquez enjoys pancakes so much who Ooh. on the roster do you think enjoys waffles or french toast turns Ooh. out vasquez brandon does vasquez. not enjoy pancakes that much <laughs> um, so he actually uh, likes waffles and french toast more than he likes pancakes yeah he uh I'm, he just answered I'm- <laughs> I'm happy he spoke up about that because that's yes. one of those things where if you let it go on too long, eventually you just have to keep rolling with it. It's like I had a friend in college where he introduced himself on the first day that everyone's in the dormitories. His, his name was Jack. And it was just a joke. But we all started calling him Jack. And then we found out like three years later his real name was Nate when one of his friends showed up from high school and was calling him Nate the entire time. And we're like, why the fuck is this guy calling you Nate? What's the story? He's like, well, it turns out that I thought I was being funny introducing myself as Jack, and y'all went with it, and it was a little too late to say anything, and I thought y'all thought I was weird if I would have told you I lied about my name, so. There's He's a, a doctor now, so. There's a, there, there's a This American Life about a guy who, like, went to college and as a bit, um, T- spoke to everybody in Af- in an African accent, and then he ended up keeping it up, like until like winter break. <laughs> like he it just became like everybody was like, "Oh, this is guy is from Africa." <laughs> oh no, that's so good. We should have known. We should have known. We should have known Jack was full of shit though, because sophomore year he came back from the summer and insisted that he'd been kicked in the head on his family farm and it had fixed his eyes when explaining why he wasn't wearing glasses anymore. And he insisted that was the reason for the entire year until finally admitting he got LASIK, like, in the springtime. Oh, my God. <laughs> the weird thing to lie about. That's... Yeah. yeah. Jack was a different dude. Oh, well, speaking of college, I think I think this is a question we were all looking forward to. Keevebot at Keevebot says you can award an MLS team to three college football fan bases. Who you got? Uh, and I, I want to throw out there, I, just so people keep keep this in mind, rewarding it to a fan base. So, yes, that they'd play in that city. Yes, let's assume they'd play in that college football stadium. But you get the full fanfare. You don't, like, if you were to pick Alabama, you don't get the 5,000 people that show up to Birmingham Legion games. You get the full 85,000 people in the stadium. So, Chief, who you got? Oh, God, I've been thinking about this question all day. Like, when I saw this on the the mentions for the post Twitter, like, my mind started racing. And there's so many different ways you can go on this. I mean, do you go Penn State? Where it's like, you know that they're down for whatever shady rule violations you need to do in order to win at soccer. That that's a fan base that's willing to look the other way when you bring that fourth designated player in and completely violate MLS's rules. Um, You can go that direction. Do you go Oregon, where you get ridiculous uniforms every day of the week, you get all that Phil Knight Nike money, you get outs in stadium, you get, you know, all that shit up in the Pacific Northwest, new rival for Portland and Seattle up there. That'd be a blast. Um, But to me, this has to be an SEC team because as we all know, it just means more down in the SEC. Um, Just means more. And I just, I I don't think you can go anywhere else with this other than LSU and the Baton Rouge fan base. 
Um, you can play the games in Baton Rouge, which means you can stay in New Orleans and drive in for the games. You can an away day in the New Orleans adjacent area. They keep a live tiger at Death Valley, Mike the Tiger. <laughs> he lives better than the majority of the residents of the state of Louisiana. I'm confident he reads at a higher level than most people in the state of Louisiana. Um, I've actually been to, to Death Valley before, and you sort of, it really is in a fucking valley. And you drive to the stadium, and as you're driving, there are people tailgating that are like fucking roasting whole alligators on a spit over an open flame. And people just like pouring beer, booze bottles directly onto their head. And all of a sudden, as you crest this sort of like ridge, it's not even going up, you're just going flat. And you see down in this like lower lying area, the stadium there, um, Tiger Stadium. And it's got these burning torches around the side, and there's a fucking tiger cage out front. And it's just like that scene in Gladiator where the dude looks up at the building and goes, man was not meant to build such things. And that's <laughs> that's the vibe down there. And it's filled with 100,000 Cajun rednecks that are all drunk out of their mind who have been drinking since Tuesday. And if there is a better and more intimidating environment to be found in soccer, it would be from making the LSU fan base into soccer fans. It would be Azteca would look like would look like a leaps and bounds from back in the day or a discovery zone compared to what would be going on at LSU. Oh, so good. And thank you for the leaps and bounds reference. I've been trying to remember the original company before BZ Discovery Zone for so long. So thank you for that. No, gotcha. I that's immediately that's immediately where my mind went as well. I feel like LSU is a shoe in. Uh, similar reasons, I think you could make an argument for Alabama or Auburn or any of those sort of deep South SEC teams. With Grayson, who, 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 who you got? Okay, so I got I got the three that was asked for. Um, this pretend this is from like two years in the future, so then I could all be I could have all Big Ten teams that I'm adding. <laughs> um, I mean, Big first, Ten is going to expand into MLS. We already know that's going to happen at some point. Yes. First, first, um, the fir- the first fan base that I'm granting an MLS team to is uh, Ohio State fans, and for for two for two reasons for two reasons, um, one. I much prefer just like a bunch of big dumb drunk oafs supporting our rival than <laughs> you know the current group of like aggrieved whiny nincompoops wearing that, headbands that that constitute the Columbus Crew fan base just these like these like aggrieved precious individuals that you can't um you know say anything about or you know they just need to be like coddled and nurtured and praised and validated at all times like i want a rival that we can properly hate um and then the second is um the crew will go bye-bye yeah if there's overnight if there's immediately you put you put a scarlet and gray mls team in columbus there's no more crew and that's what should have happened a couple years ago. And, you know, this is how we're getting it done. Uh, number two, um, don't think I don't care about these people. There needs to be a place for, like, the aggrieved, precious, you know, folks need to go. Which is why I'm putting an MLS team in South Bend, Indiana. <laughs> uh, for uh, no- Notre Dame University. 
Okay. Wow. Um, and then the um, the third team, the third college football fan base I'm granting a team to is uh, the Northwestern Wildcats because there should be an MLS team in the Chicago area. <laughs> oh, I, was, I thought I thought you were trying to put a team there so they could raise the GPA of MLS. <laughs> the, the Vanderbilt of MLS, yes. Oh my gosh! I I mean, we gotta have we gotta it. if we're gonna do this, we've gotta have a team somewhere like Athens, Ohio, or like Ball State, where we get like Ooh. Maction in MLS, where it's just bananas, it's goals, goals, goals on a Wednesday night, and you could be a degenerate gambler and sweat the over out at 10 o'clock at a bar somewhere when you should be home on a work night. So I feel like that's got to be in here somewhere. Bring Maction to MLS. Buffalo, you know, you could you could have an instant rivalry with Toronto there. Could be something. Um, I do want to see MLS fans jumping through tables. I know it's not. I know it's not University of Buffalo, but but, but it's, it's, it's the same. Be. It's the same the, people. The DNA is there. So yeah, yeah. yeah Bills um, Mafia in the MLS. That would be yes. I was uh, I was very boring and was thinking of like strategically what would be good for MLS, and I came up with LSU, uh, Michigan, and University of Arizona which is sort of a weird one, but it's like kind of a party school and it's a good fan base out in the desert. Makes merging with Liga MX easier down the line. You know, I, I could see those three there. That's what Now I see, it it's to. not a college fo- – I understand the question was college football, but much along the same lines as, as Grayson's, the uh, the Fighting Irish, and all those dipshits up there, the yes. dumbers. Slight pivot. I know they're not a football school, but I would love a Duke University MLS team. Yeah. Because there is yeah. – MLS is in desperate need of more villains, and nobody is an easier hate in this world than Duke University, than those 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 weirdos that camp out that they're in love with Mike Shashevsky, who is definitely cheated at every level of college basketball that he's coached, that was spraying his hair on for the last ten years, um, screamed who, at who, a player's impoverished mother that she was ruining his life. By letting her son go pro early, that he screamed at a report, a student reporter for asking a bad question on multiple occasions. He faked injuries. He faked like illness when he knew star players were hurt, so that he could take a leave of absence while losses piled up, so it wouldn't hurt his career record. Like we need that fan base and Mike Shashevsky specifically in MLS. I think that would just be electric content to get the Cameron crazies. And the Duke sanctimony involved in this league. Ooh, I do like that. Could you do? Could you throw USC into LA with the Galaxy and LAFC? Could be fun. You've got like the I don't know. I th- I think they kind of they're the hybrid of Galaxy and LAFC, where you have the Hollywood, you've got the glamour. You know, you bring no, it all together. No, 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 no. No, if you're gonna go that route, if you're gonna go that route. And you're going to take – because if you want USC, you really want USC from about 15 years ago, yes. 20 years ago. Yes. And if you're going to do that and go back in time – Who you really want is the U. The U. Yes. You want yes. the U. You want, you want the U. You want, you want the, the Ray Lewis. You want you – Clinton want Portis, all Clinton of it. Clinton Portis. You want Kellen Winslow talking about soldiers. You, want, you know who you want in MLS? You want the seventh floor crew in MLS. <laughs> You want you want Greg Olson G Reg talking about his third leg 
Oh, rapping man. on the seventh floor crew. That's MLS, right? The, you want this league to be better overnight. You bring the U from back in like the late 90s, early 2000s, and you give them an MLS team. Fuck this inner Miami shit. The U. <laughs> if there's anything that tells you more about like the monoculture and how like every aspect of society has become gentrified, it is how boring the MLS team in Miami is. Yes. Yes. How, it's just so stale and neutered. It should be so much more fun. They even had a nice big controversy, and it, it still hasn't hasn't turned into anything. Oh my gosh! No, what a what a wonderful question. I love that. I love that question so much. Um, we've already touched on this, but I'll I'll just briefly mention it. Nick says, with Lucha being freed, will Barrio return, or uh, will Barrio return, or will he head to left back? I think I I transposed this this wrong. Basically, do you, has he earned a spot on the field? I think I think we'd all agree yes, he's earned a spot on the field so long as it it makes sense there. I don't think we're pulling a D mid for him, but I I think you'll see a lot of Barrial. I I don't I think, think he'll be a every game starter. Yeah, I think you have to see a lot of Barrial because the alternative is playing people like Kubo and Cruz who are actively bad when they're on the field the majority of the time. That is so true. Um, and I thought this one was good uh, from a very timely at Fire Butch Jones now uh, account. <laughs> I mean, it's always a good time to fire Butch Jones. I, I think he's an offensive consultant in Alabama, something like that. He might have been promoted to coordinator now. Uh, Sky Rosa versus the Busk Boy. Now, the Sky Rosa, I feel like, is a known thing, which is the uh, Skyline Chili Dog inside of a slice of uh, La Rosa's Pizza. The Busk Boy, which I believe is a Fire Butch Jones now original creation. Correct me if I am wrong. It's the first time I've ever seen this. It is taking a Buskin smiley face cookie and sliding it onto your big boy sandwich and eating it. <laughs> and uh, I got to tell you, the only other time I've ever seen anything like that was our, uh, our, our two-year-old foster kid here was eating Lunchables and made a, uh, a nice Lunchable stack of uh, ham, cheese, Reese's cup surrounded by two crackers and uh it feels like the exact same thing sweet so, and savory is in yeah yeah <laughs> so i mean i've never had a busk boy i'm tempted to give it here that sounds that sounds right up my alley <laughs> so i would definitely eat a busk boy but um i do think the sky rosa is kind of a classier um dish and yes. Here's so here's my here's my reasoning. If you ever go eat at like a Michelin at like a Michelin restaurant, they'll inevitably give you like seven different dishes that are all like, oh, this is like mushrooms but prepared four different ways, or you right. know that that type of thing, right? And the Sky Rosa is kind of like that because it's like okay, we have um, a starch, cheese, and sauce, you know, prepared Ooh. two different ways and combined. You know, like that's like a, it's like a very complimentary, like I think like kind of classical fine dining type of meal. And the Busk Boy, while probably very good, is, you know, more, more lowbrow. 
Yes, I've I've always waited for the Skyrosa is the uh, the highfalutin dish at the uh, at the stadium take. That is so good. Chief, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna yeah. go with uh, a different take on this. I'm gonna go with Grippaters, and that's uh, crushed up Grippos on top of Grater's ice cream. Um. <laughs> well, now we're on dessert course. <laughs> I would I would do I which would do ice bo- cream though. Which ice uh, cream though? Probably, I'm thinking you got to do something mint, you know, really okay, like, you know, yeah. cl- little palate cleansing thing. So I'm going to say like uh, mint chocolate chip with crushed up barbecue graters on top of it. I think that would be, or grippos on top of that. I think um, we got a meal. Here's the problem with the Sky Rosa, where the, where the, the busk boy clearly wins here. So the Sky Rosa is just a messy eat. You're talking about pizza that's already <laughs> greasy and hard to like, you know, it, it you know, it gets a little messy, and the Skyline Cheese Coney, which you know, if I guess if you get one that's gone through the drive-through where everything's melted and sort of congealed into place, maybe it's a little bit of an eat, an easier eat. But the Sky Rosa, I've always looked at people eating that and thinking that seems like that's going to need a lot of napkins. Versus the Busk Boy, where I think the cookie probably fits directly onto the Big Boy in such a way that you just eat it normally, and there's not a lot of like thinking or maneuvering or doing the Guy Fieri hunch. To, in order to, uh, but that's to another that's another way that just illustrates why the Sky Rosa is like a classier dish because it's clearly meant to be eaten, you know, seated um, on a plate <laughs> with like a fork and knife, while a buskin is while well, the, the sorry the busk boy is you know it's like a, a walking taco, you know, it's something that that somebody eats when they just want to have food while they're engaged in another activity. A Sky Rosa, you can sit down and like really, you know, savor. That's, you know, I, it's probably a good, it's a good time to probably bring up now that I had a lot of free time in my hands prior to the season starting on a day or two where I attempted to come up with a cheese coney variant for every team oh, in MLS. That's right. Where we were going to have Mame go out because, you know, Obviously, Grayson and I are anonymous podcast hosts that everybody really knows who we really are. So it's <laughs> who are we fooling at this point? Um, but we were going to have Google Mame- mainly. <laughs> That's a be- just our employers. Um, we were going to have Mame go out. We were going to make these cheese conies and eat them. And I'm trying to remember what some of them were. Like we were going to have like the uh, like one of them was I think this like a shrimp tempura cheese coney with wasabi and chili on top of it, yes, and like. Yes. There was another one I think that was like a uh, a Montreal cheese coney where it was like a hot dog, but it had uh, chili and cheese curds on top of it, like poutine style. Like there were actually some on there where I was like, I would unironically eat this. Like I think one was like a Nashville hot chicken finger in place of the hot dog, and then chili and cheese on top of it. Oh yeah, there was a, there was a lot of like replace the protein with their delicacy. Oh my gosh, we got to dig up that list. Sometime. This seems like an off season thing we could just do. Yes, we we will have to bring this back for next year. No, it's uh, it's something that the club should do this. Like the club in their fucking highfalutin seats, where people are paying way too much money to sit, where people bitch the food tastes bad because apparently you're expecting a five star, a Michelin star experience when you sit in an MLS game. Like they should have the Coney of the week, where it's based on whatever team we're playing. You can go up and you can grab the Coney and sample it, and then complain that it didn't meet. Your exacting specifications for how a hot dog with wasabi, Cincinnati chili, and mayo should spicy mayo should taste. I don't know if Great American Ballpark still does this, but they had a uh, like a grill uh, along the uh, like 
out in right field that was it would do similar things where it was like it would have like a mocking version of the opponent's mascot dish so like they did grilled cardinal whenever the cardinals were in town it was like a quail thing or something like that i i really appreciated that they did things like that um got really weird when we played the white Sox. oh no <laughs> just eating gym, eating gym socks or or fried boot like we're in the great depression that'd be good stuff boiled boot um yeah i think that's gonna do it for our questions that, that wrapped it up uh, or the thank padres you. for that matter i guess <laughs> we don't talk about the padres menu no we just move um, them from parish to parish oh no jeez oh. hey we they officially apologize for that now so it's okay they said um, whoopsie it's fine yeah yeah N- nvd um that's gonna do it with the questions. Uh, part three, we're gonna talk uh, about the transfers. The transfer. I'm just gonna blow right past this topic here. We we got the transfer window. By the time this comes out, there's seven days left. What to expect? What we're expecting? What to expect when you're not expecting? That's in part three coming up. Part three, we're talking about it. You know it. There was an eyeballs emoji from the post account. We are still waiting for a Matt Miazga update. Again, by the time you hear this, there's about seven days left in the MLS primary transfer window. Um, Boys, it's looking like we're not going to get a whole lot coming this way. Um, I I am very interested in this particular dynamic, um, and I, I want to bring this up immediately, Tyler Blackett re-signed to a massive contract, I assume. I haven't heard anything about this. Grayson, you may have figured this out. I assume Blackett's only signed through this year. That's right. Uh, they, yeah. they, I believe that they announced that, that they okay. picked up his – because he had like a end-of-season option and like an option through next year. Yeah. And they only picked up the option through the end of this season. Right. So that makes sense. That adds up. But – Ever since that option, I feel like he might have played or might have started one other game, but Noonan has otherwise benched Blackett in favor of Ian Murphy. Is is Noonan sending a message to Chris Albright by benching him, looking yeah. for reinforcements? He's not as he's not as good as Ian Murphy. I think it's the <laughs> I think it's the message. I don't I don't think he's perp- I I don't I really don't think Noonan is. Unless the guy is like a locker room cancer or something, I, and and I, I don't think Blackett is that at all. And I, I think if Blackett was that, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't be starting at all, and he would not have been picked up. Um, I just think I think Noonan puts out the best players. I think Noonan puts out whoever he thinks the best players are every game. Yeah, I think that the reason you pick. Like I'm, I've been trying to make this make sense in my mind for a while as to how Blackett has been deployed, and if you're going to deploy him this way, why would you pick his contract up and pay him all that money? And the only, the only conclusion that really makes sense is that they have some kind of deal in place for Miazga, contingent on Chelsea not finding a better offer before the season starts. That mm. that th- 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 what this is is that they're in a rom-com situation where if neither one of us has met someone by the time we're 35, we should get married. 
and <laughs> that they have worked something out with Chelsea. And if we can't find some other place for Miazga to go, then yeah, we'll circle back around to you at the end of the window. And they know what the value on that is. They've worked out how to make that deal work. I mean, I think they could probably take him on a loan with an option to buy that is going to get triggered. Like if Matt Miazga breathes three times in Cincinnati, the buy option gets triggered. But what that does is then they don't have to pay his transfer fee right now. They can pay his transfer fee in the off season and amortize that over the next contract that he signs with FC Cincinnati versus a new deal right now, amortize the transfer fee. And he's almost certain to be a DP. Um, So, that's the only part of this that makes sense. And they're like, well, the earliest we would get Miazga here is the very end of the window. Maybe not at all. And we have a Tyler Blackett in hand. So we may as well sign Tyler Blackett. The only other thing that would, that would theoretically make sense is if they're, they're trying to move out either a Tonga or Brenner to free up a big salary spot. And they're like, well, it doesn't matter signing black it back up because the next player we bring in is going to be a guy we can break the bank on a little bit so i think it's probably maybe one of those two scenarios but i'm, I'm just i'm f- fucking guessing i have no idea well right. they, they have they have very little resources put into the rest of the defense right now so it, i i think that the thought process could be as simple as our defense is not really weighing down our our roster budget at this point um if we let Blackett go, then we definitely need to bring in two center backs. And we're not super confident that it would be smart to try to bring in two new center backs this window. So we can we can extend Blackett and we just got another body. And he's, you know, number four on the depth chart. And we, we can still bring in number one on the depth chart and feel decent about our about our center back room yeah grayson you you pointed this out earlier in the old uh in the old group chat is how i'm going to refer to it um the timing of the mls transfer window versus premier league start date like can can you explain like what the potential timeline here is for miazga and when a deal would have to be done yeah so um there was a tweet and this will be old news by the time this by the time this is out. But it was you know a couple of hours ago today from Larry Henry Jr., who is a staff writer for MLS Next Pro. Um, he's in New Jersey, so I don't know if he has some type of line into Red Bulls or Miazga or somebody. But he said that Chelsea is still weighing offers for Miazga, and they want to move him out before the um, Premier League opener and the Premier League games start August 5th. Um, there was a British newspaper, I forget which I forget which one that said Chelsea is actively shopping and they I think it was yesterday. they put out an article that Chelsea is actively shopping a number of players and that included Miazga because they have loan limitations now. And so some of these guys that they had on loan, including Miazga need to be shipped out or with the first team. And he's not going to be with the first team. Um, 
the the Premier League game starting August fifth is kind of notable because the MLS window closes, I think August fourth. So that before the first game of the Premier League season timeline matches up pretty nicely with the end of the MLS window. Um, I think it's notable that there don't seem to be any traces of rumors of Miazga to anywhere in Europe. So I would think that he's going to be moved by the end of next week and it's going to be somewhere in MLS. And since we have the number one allocation spot and can effectively dictate where he goes in MLS and we have a need for specifically his position, we're the most, we're still the most likely destination. And that's, that's my, that's my thought process yeah. on that. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember that, too. We have the top allocation spot. He's on the list. As we've discussed, almost nobody else makes any sense for this team unless they were looking to add a a luxury midfield piece that would almost have to be a DP. He makes the most sense to come into the to FCC, but... MLS is MLS, and there's there's been time where where some shenanigans were pulled, and I, I'm always reminded of the uh, the Jermaine Jones situation where he was supposed to he really wanted to go play for Chicago, but New England for whatever reason had a discovery right or there was an allocation list or something, and they compromised by doing a blind draw with teams in envelopes, and they shuffled up envelopes and pulled one of the envelopes. And that's how Jermaine Jones went to play for the New England Revolution. And he hated it. And he left as soon as he could and he went to L.A. It's just a super weird situation. Um, Also, keep in mind, Clint Dempsey going to Seattle. Uh, At that same time, I believe Portland was at the top of the allocation order. And MLS also invented a rule so that he could go play for Seattle, which is the team he wanted to go play for. So don't. Let's not necessarily rule out some bullshit here. If the New York Red Bulls really want him and they come up with a thing saying, you know, if a player was formerly a homegrown, is this on the allocation list, you can leapfrog the list or something. You can, you can see something like that happening. But if well, he's they can, coming... They can give us And if that's going to happen, if that's gonna happen yeah. then Carl Linder needs to step in and say, I paid 350 million clams yeah. to get into yep. this fucking league. Yes. Um, and... At a certain point, you've got to stop fucking me. And okay, I get it that you as the league and we as the league, since it's a we, not a me thing, um, it's We're better for the league if Matt. Yeah, if it's better with if Matt Miazga is in this league versus out of this league, I get it. But then, if you're going to bend the rules for New York to get him, then you can do something that lets my team. Then you can invent a rule that says suddenly because we had to give up discovery rights or the allocation list on this we now get an extra dp spot for the remainder of the year or some nonsense or horse shit like that and if you're just going to start inventing rules then at some point someone involved in this club and that's why i'm glad albright is here because he does feel like a kind of person that would march into carl's office and jeff's office and say you have to tell these fuckers no that we got to get our back scratched too and if we don't get matt miazga it's like we got to wet the beak somewhere else because Carl, and from Carl's point of view, I got to sell tickets to this fucking team. And Matt Miazga in a playoff push sells tickets. Matt Miazga playing for New York and us are floundering on the deck like a fish doesn't sell tickets. So do something for us for a change. Yes. 
Yes. Also important to remember, New York Red Bulls is very much our competitor for these final playoff spots. So that would be a double uh, punch to the dick on that one. So um, Miazg- yeah. I mean, Miazga and Long play the same position. And so maybe maybe Red Bull are thinking that they're going to trade out, trade Long and bring in Miazga. I don't know. Ooh. Um would you make that trade? I mean, no. I mean, no. no you can't no, make that fuck, trade fuck because Aaron Long. Aaron Long wants to be a DP, and he's only under contract for the remainder of this season. Versus Miazga, where even in worst case scenario, and you acquire him right now, you're going to get him for this year and at least half of next year. It's a terrible deal from from FC Cincinnati's point of view. Unless part of the happy horse shit that forces this is well. We'll allow you to sign Aaron Long as a TAM player and do one of those Gareth Bale things where he just gets like envelopes of cash in his right, locker every week right. that don't appear on the books. I uh, I could see something actually like that working out where so MLS he, is cool. Here's here's something else though. Okay, that that I that at least if I were Chris Albright, Albright would factor in. You know, fuck Aaron Long. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Obviously. But there are some very attractive free agents um, at the center back position, um, such as uh, Alex Alex Kayens at NYCFC, who people rate as the best center back in MLS. Probably not going to take a DP deal to sign him, but like a high TAM deal. Um, Aaron Long, yes. And then um, Miles Robinson has an option year, but he's going to be looking for more money. And if, if, you know, if Atlanta were to decline his option, which they won't, he would also be free agent eligible. So he's either going to be a free agent this year or next year, unless, unless Atlanta pays out. And from everything I've seen, they're either not willing or not able to for Robinson. So he may be gettable unless they sell him, you know, to Europe, which, May happen, but I think that if if I think that if you don't end up with Miazga this window, um, you it's because you are going to and you need to do everything possible to get one of those marquee center back free agents. Yeah, yeah, because you have to assume Blackett's gone, Cameron's gone. I want to say. That leaves you with Murphy and Haglin going into next year. You're basically looking to sign two starting center backs, if not three, if they wanted to keep playing with this back three. So, yeah, the team's certainly in a in a difficult position if they're unable to add this window. Which um, and, and, uh, and people... in a, in a difficult position that's been exacerbated by the fact that I would would it shock anyone if if Sergio Santos doesn't play another minute for this team this year? Like, <laughs> no. like he. He blew a tire, and we were told, oh, well, it's not as bad as it looks. And we still don't have results from that test that they're disclosing on what happened to his leg. Like, he's he's done. Like, we got 20 minutes out of the guy, and we paid, I think, what, like 250000 in GAM plus 300000 I think it's 300000 guaranteed, plus he's on 300000 or so salary for the rest of the year. I mean, yeah. You want to talk about? I understand it's it's a little bit unlucky, but it was a, it was a head scratcher of a move in terms of we're adding there instead of in a place of real genuine need, and then you're only going to get twenty minutes out of it. I mean, 
it's a combination of bad luck and what the fuck. But either way, it's 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 right now not looking like a deal that anyone's going to remember fondly. And Gosh. if 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 uh if Albright otherwise rates Miazga as a DP, and I'm not saying he does, I'm not even I'm not sure that I do, frankly. But if you otherwise rate him as a DP, um, I'm not concerned about the scenario where you bring him on loan. He triggers a purchase option, and then for some period of time in the offseason, you have four DPs. The roster You don't have to be roster compliant until the roster compliance date. There have been many teams in MLS that, for some overlapping period of time, had four DPs. If worse comes to worse, and hopefully they would already have, you know, made peace with this with this possibility worst comes to worse you sell brenner at a loss yeah you know you can make you can move heaven and earth to make yourself compliant in the offseason and we've seen what teams like toronto have done uh this year all the transfer fees and salary that toronto has eaten to turn over all of all three of their dps yeah this season but, who were on you know longer term guaranteed deals so the, my my thinking is if, if Miazga is the guy but you're worried about becoming compliant in the offseason then i have to just question how committed you are to turning around the roster and that's not to albright that's the ownership the problem though with this scenario is if it's the only way i can see that the dollars make sense to get Miazga is this idea of a loan where you don't have to pay his transfer fee until he signs a new deal the problem with that, though, is you can have a handshake agreement with for Matt Miazga as to what happens after the purchase option is triggered. But the purchase option being triggered only keeps him in Cincinnati until, I think, June of 2023. And if Miazga gets here and for some reason is like, nah, then he can <laughs> leave you high and dry to a certain extent on, I mean, I guess you're not out anything really. Um, because I don't think you're going to have to pay Chelsea a ton of money to get him, no matter what the purchase agreement is. I don't think it's going to be a ton. It's going to be a ton in terms of what makes him a DP. But if you're not, th- there's a reason people bring in a player and then immediately sign him to the new deal right then and there, because you don't want to give them the opportunity to look around and be like, wait, I can still be a free agent if I just give these guys the finger. Um, <laughs> right. Which would be, which would be interesting though, because. What does MLS do then at that point when it's a single entity league? There was a handshake agreement with this player to sign a new deal. Does the league then say? I mean, well, nobody, nobody can talk to him as our player, right? And he's not, and he wouldn't be free agent eligible because he doesn't have the year, um, the years of service. Mm-hmm. That would be required. Can't so as you, long as as long as you had made yeah. him some type of bona fide offer to keep him after the expiration of his uh, at the expiration of his deal, you would be able to extort Gam from other teams to sign him, a la Junior Moreno, who was out of contract, but because he wasn't a free agent, um, DC was able to stop other other MLS teams from signing him unless they paid DC. Lovely. Um, Love this league. Love this yeah. league so much. <laughs> and yeah, it's amazing I do... more people don't watch it on TV. <laughs> I, I go back to Chief's point, and I, 
I agree. I, I believe this is the situation we're looking at, which is Chelsea probably has some sort of deal with FCC and is just trying to go out and better it. Or even potentially Miazga's uh, agent is trying to go out and get better terms somewhere else. Uh, that Chelsea is happy to have him go for a million bucks, let's say, to anybody who's willing to pay that just so they can collect a little bit on him. But he's just trying to find the biggest contract out there. And he's played in Spain. He's played in France. He's played in Belgium. Surely somebody out there uh, likes him. So, But, it's, but it's there's worth no pointing, smoke to any team. It's yeah, worth po- and it's worth pointing MLS. out, too, they're not going to keep him. Like the new rules on transfers and loans and, and whatnot, Chelsea has to clear – a lot of these guys they were just hoarding off the books and yep. he's not going to make the roster at Chelsea and he's not one of their better uh, uh chips to have to loan out places like yes, they can't gonna... they can't loan him here with an option anyway right they have to sell him oh yeah i didn't even think about that yeah yeah Shit, so, i just so never mind point. Yeah, yeah just so... buy buy him for a million dollars sign him to a four year contract pay him 1.3 1.4 million dollars a year that's a tam deal yeah Boom. <laughs> right, Solve that. Um, very quickly, I do want to say, uh, the of the three other players that Chelsea is shopping from that article uh, that you pointed out there, Grayson, Xavier Mbayamba is how I'm going to choose to pronounce that, is a Dutch youth international 20-year-old center back. This goes back to my great grand conspiracy theory in MLS With team. With U-22 roster open. U22 roster could be open there. I say you offer Chelsea DP transfer money for one of the two players with the understanding that you're actually getting both of the players. They both should be DP players, but you know all of the money is actually residing under one player's transfer, not the other. So you have two DPs for literally the price of one. Who says no? Well, I mean, this is our opportunity to really, yeah, really the, bend some rules. <laughs> the, the person who says no is everyone else we're shopping Isaac Atanka to. <laughs> okay, yes, probably. Because cause he's, <laughs> he's fucking terrible. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, that really is – that's the transfer saga that we should be keeping an eye on is, is Isaac Atanka to literally anywhere. Um Gentlemen, I think that's going to do it for Postcast episode 22. We covered quite a bit of ground here. Um, well, I have yeah. a great idea for Isaac Atanga before we wrap up. Please, let me hear it. They should change his name legally from Isaac Atanga to Isaac Awesome. Kind of the way like they named Greenland <laughs> Greenland to try and trick people into moving there. That it wasn't some like frozen hellhole oh, like no. the ice world of Hoth. <laughs> And then offer him someplace over in like you know you know Latin like Latvia or wherever the fuck someplace. It's like yeah. well he's awesome and it's in his name right here. I've got it. You make an NFT of Isaac Atanga, <laughs> and you price the NFT at four million dollars. Okay. But if you buy the NFT, you, you get also it. get the player as a as a, <laughs> a throwing. <laughs> As a free, Isaac so Atanga so the player is the free. first living NFT. He is a living NFT. You buy, yeah. he is traded on the blockchain as an individual. The NFT is proof of ownership of Isaac Atanga's contract. This is it's just like yeah, how okay. it's just you like how say you buy his NFT. contract. Yeah, I needed to throw that in there. <laughs> it's just like how when you normally buy an NFT, 
it comes with like free drugs as like a throw in, right? But and, instead yeah. of drugs, it's Isaac Atanga. No, and this works perfectly because just like an NFT, when you buy Isaac Atanga, you're really getting nothing of value. Yes, it's worthless after one year. Uh, human, human, all human beings have value. Sure, I'm sure he's a great cook. Oh no, Jesus! No, I'm sure he's a nice. I'm sure he's a great guy and a nice his guy. Mom, a his tough, mom says he's cool. He's yeah. in a tough situation. It's not. It's not working out, and it's best for everybody if he finds another situation <laughs> immediately, quickly. Similarly, I think this podcast needs to end immediately and quickly. So goodbye. 